0: Well, we have been um, poking around with this whole issue of unity, and there are probably a lot of different things that we can talk about in unity, and, um, you know, we've been talking about love and mercy and and what it takes to be unified, and so we're going to look at um, a passage, we're going to look at the Beatitudes, focus on one of those Beatitudes, uh, in Matthew chapter 5, so you could open your Bibles up, Um, I'm just going to pray and Then we'll we'll jump in and read God's word together. Father, thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you that we can trust you. Thank you that you are faithful. God, I just think of all the people, all the young people on the stage this morning, all the lives that are uh, ushering out of here to next steps, and we just give you praise for your faithfulness to them. That you go before them and you come behind. And God, as we open your word, we ask, I ask, God, that your spirit would be our teacher. That you would change the words in, from my mouth to people's ears this morning. And that your spirit would lead us and guide us and admonish us and teach us and encourage us where we need it. So we commit our time to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Matthew 5 1 to 12 This is a picture of maybe where Jesus was standing when he gave the Sermon on the Mount. They didn't have microphones and speakers back then, and so there was, a, there was a way that they would get where people could hear. So here it is. Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. In the Beatitudes, our Rabbi Jesus shares nine postures, nine postures, I've highlighted them here, that we need to take on if we desire to live in the kingdom of God. Nine new ways that, that line up with the human experience that will lead to transformation and newness of life, both personally personally as well as communally. The, uh, the Greek word, and I don't know Greek, and I see Todd over there, and I'm not going to look at him because I didn't take Greek, but I did look it up. The Greek word for, um, yeah. You've heard, okay, so back up. You've heard people say things like, that person has arrived, or they've made it to the top. Kind of get that concept? Well, the Greek word makarios means blessed or could be kind of interpreted like that. You've made it to the top if this characterizes your life. You're gonna make it into the kingdom if this is the life that you're living, okay? And what I think surprised, um, what was surprising is who Jesus has going, who Jesus is saying has it going on in here. Who is blessed? He said, blessed are the poor, those who are mourning, the meek, the lowly. And, and it's almost, you can, you can picture Jesus just over, overlooking the crowd and, and basically saying, whoever you are, wherever you've been, whatever you've done, whatever your struggle is, you need to know this one thing. And, that the with, it, and it's this, it's the with God life is for you. You aren't on the outskirts. It is available to you. And it's kind of cool. The God of the universe is standing on the mountain there. The mountain that who made? He made, right? Standing on the mountain that he he created. And he's sharing this good news with the people who most needed to hear it. Nobody is outside of God's reach. Maybe you can picture that. Maybe he sees a person who's barely, you know, clothes falling off because they're ripped and torn. And he said, blessed are the poor for yours is the kingdom. Sees a woman who's mourning the death of her husband. Maybe he lays his hand on her shoulder and says, blessed are you, sister, who mourn. Maybe he sees a peasant worker coming in from the field to listen to him teach, and he says, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Basically, Jesus, I think, is saying you're in. If your life will be characterized by these sorts of things, you are gonna, you're going to experience life in the kingdom of God. Mark Scandrett and my friend Dan White's work have helped me understand a bit of the context um, around Jesus' audience. And I think it's important for us to understand what made up, like picture he's up on the mount and just like you guys, you're made up of all sorts of experiences and groups. Well, well, um, to understand what's going on, we want to look at this, right? There are Pharisees and Sadducees and Essenes and Zealots in the crowd, along with normal people who might not fit into that category. None of these people like the Roman occupation, right? They're all oppressed. They're all miserable. They want the Romans out of there. They want freedom. They want the good life and They all agree on one thing, the Romans are a huge problem. They're a huge problem. But they all, what they didn't do is they didn't agree on the strategy and how that should be handled to get out from underneath this Roman rule. They all had their little camps. The Sadducees wanted to go the route of political power, thinking they would bring the good life, thinking power would set them free. And so what did they do? They would cozy up to the Romans. They would bring, they, they would schmooze them. They would try to, try to get in good with the, the powers that be. And, and then they would be installed as maybe puppet governors. And they thought that this would lead them to freedom. They'd lead them to the good life. But it wasn't the way. The Pharisees thought the Romans were there because the Jews hadn't been faithful to the Torah. And so they, they thought, wow, we, we need to straighten up. We need to get our theology right. We need to, we need to get some new rules and, and please God by being, oh, so pious, right? We're going to win back God's favor. And they wanted to try to legislate morality. They wanted to try to straighten people up that way. And that wasn't the way to the kingdom of God either. The Essenes were were monastic, so they didn't show up. They were probably in caves somewhere and writing and But then the zealots, these guys were fired up sorts. They didn't think they should be participating or, or under this unjust rule, right And so they thought it's not about following laws and more carefully, it's not about keeping the peace. it's time to pick up arms. let's get violent let's let's fight the oppressors and that wasn't. The way to the kingdom of God. It wasn't the good life. Right? And so it's likely that all sorts these sorts of people were in the crowd. And, and Jesus, I mean, what is Jesus thinking? Like, how do I, how do I help these guys understand that that what they've given their lives to isn't going to get them what they think they're gonna get? There's a whole different way of life. There are a whole different number of principles and realities that the kingdom of God Will, will, will happen with, and they're missing the boat. These ways don't lead to the kingdom of God. And so these people need to unlearn and repent and rethink how they're going to get there. As you think about that, I don't know that a whole lot has changed from there to our day, right? We still get drawn into these ways of trying to find the good life trying to live in the kingdom while cozying up and getting violent and pushing and, and these sorts of things. And Jesus is still inviting us and saying, that isn't the way. That isn't the way. The way is the way of trust. The way is the way of trust. So Jesus' sermon isn't what anybody expected. And especially not those, the poor people, the downtrodden, the broken, the oppressed, right? Right? Everyone came that day thinking that it's the wealthy and the powerful and the attractive and the successful that they must be the ones that are blessed by God. God must be really happy with them because he's blessed them. That's what the world thinks. So, by contrast, if you're poor, you're suffering, you're struggling, you must be cursed by God. God must be upset with you. You must have done something wrong. And now you don't get to participate in the kingdom. So here Jesus is is setting out and I think trying to unify his disciples, trying to bring all those people together to understand that the good life and what values and priorities they must live by in order to live in the kingdom of God. Unfortunately, we don't have time to go through all the Beatitudes, but I want to focus on the first one because I I think it's key maybe the key and and, it, and it's been said that the beatitudes are like the content like uh, the table of contents in a book you know, you read the table of contents you get an idea of what all the chapters are about and it's been it's i've i've come to understand that the rest of the gospels is kind of bearing these things out but the first matthew 5:3 blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven Understanding and embracing the concept of being poor in spirit will lead to a new way of thinking and a new way of being in the world. And so Jesus is saying, if you will be poor in spirit, if you will recognize that you are weak and you'll choose to trust God rather than yourself or rather than all the powers that be that we just looked at, you'll experience kingdom life takes that trust, solely trust in God. Well, what does it mean to be poor in spirit? Mark Skandret calls this the way of trust, to own our poverty, to admit it, and to live with open hands. To live with open hands. Jesus is inviting his disciples to understand that they're strong when they're weak. They're strong when they're vulnerable, when they recognize they're vulnerable. His disciples need to learn to put their trust in God rather than these other things, rather than in their own self sufficiency and their ability to to make things happen, right? I was in my office late um, on Thursday night working on my sermon, and uh, the security alarm went off. Those things are loud. You know what I wanted to do? I wanted to run. I wanted to run, but I had to stay because I had to get the alarm off because I'm standing there with no shoes on and the cop's going to show up. Like, hey, what are you doing in here, buddy? Anyway, um, the alarm goes off and I'm overwhelmed and my, my key card isn't working. I'm like, I'm not getting it to where I needed to get it. I should have turned an alarm on just to freak everybody out. Like, it was like kind of unnerving. And uh, anyway, I got it turned off. Cops didn't come. I wasn't arrested. You don't have a pastor as a felon or breaking and entering or anything. So anyway, um, but I say that because I think um, we're, we're, all, we're all wired with this fight or flight response, right? I, I was hit with that fight or flight. I wanted to run, but I had to stay and fight with that key card. Um, I, had to, I had to stay in the office, right? But that fight or flight response kicks in when we're faced with fear and threat. This chart... Um, helps us to, to kind of see, fight, flight, freeze, and gives some, maybe some helpful things to, to kind of orient our life here uh, to, to understand what those things look like. Um, and, and I think each of us has a tendency in life to do one of those things. And I think it has a lot to do with our personality and how we're wired. Like for me, um, I, a lot of times I'm, I'm kind of in the flight that, that yellow to orange, uh, wanting to escape or run away when, when there's tension or there's, I'll find myself like, okay, I'm just going to go over here and get away. And then, and, and I don't know, maybe, you know, I want you to think about where, which of these do you tend to fall into when there's relational conflict or whatever conflict, threat, challenge comes. Um, I think we're all defaulted back to one of these ways, um, especially as children, um, and so, you know, I think about this as we've been going through this series on unity, and, and it kind of, I see this, I see this happen, right? I see this happen in us, I see this happening in the greater, greater uh, church world, and in our politics, and in our, all the stuff that's going on in the world, you see people responding like this, right? The natural way, the natural way that we showed up as little babies, little kids, and, and there's, there's something to this, right? We tend to react in fear and anxiety, and we fight or we run or we freeze, and I think we need to get beyond these things if we desire unity. So which one of these responses do you default to? Have you figured that one out? This beatitude, the way of trust in God, might just be key to unity. Because if we can put our trust in God, if we really trust God loves us, and he's sovereign, and he's at work, like we would all say, I think, yes, we believe that. Then it becomes safe to share our vulnerabilities. It becomes safe to open our lives to other people. It becomes safe to, to sit down with people that we disagree with or think we disagree with. Probably most of the time is we think we disagree, but we never actually sit down and have conversations to clarify and make things clearer, right? To get close and connect. It becomes safe to open our lives to other people because when we trust God to protect us from the threat, what's going to happen? What's going to happen? Love is the absence of fear. Fear is the opposite of love. 1 John 4.18 says, There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment, threat. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. I think Jesus knew that if these people that he was speaking with, who he had compassion on, the crowds didn't learn to live in this dependent trust like he did, they would be perpetual worry warts. They would continue to be anxious and defensive and beat down, self-righteous, angry, bordering policies, right? Power-grabbing, violent, and otherwise generally miserable people. And he wants to see them freed up from that and living with different values in the kingdom, so Jesus came to show, show us that he's worthy of trust and that we don't lead to live in fear. I want you to think for a minute. What are you afraid of? Afraid of losing something? Wealth, retirement, comfort. Who are you afraid of? Who's going to take your stuff away? Who's going to get ahead of the line in front of you? What are some of the threats that you feel bearing down on you today? ever think about who's telling you to be afraid our first instinct when faced with a threat or a perceived threat is to fear it's a fight-or-flight mode but what if jesus is teaching us that there's a better way what if we learn to live in the world with the insight and wisdom that jesus had jesus didn't fear Jesus trusted his father all the way to his resurrection. I've been trying to notice for a while what makes me anxious. What makes me scared. You know what makes me scared? Preaching in front of all of you on graduation Sunday. It's one of those things. This week has been difficult. I'm fighting poison ivy and steroids and all sorts of stuff. Now you're like, why did he share that? And so am I. But it's been, it's been one of those weird weeks. I've, I've been up... Really early, I've been up really late and, and it just like, ah. And I've been, I've been probably more aware of my own anxiety. I've been a little testier. I've been snippy. And here I am up here, right? I just want to be honest with you. I'm not perfect. I struggle with this. Struggle with trusting God and not trying to control things. and Right? But what if we learn to live in, a, in the world with the insight and wisdom that God, God had, that Jesus had, that trust, right? And so this, this anxiety can, can kind of mess with us. And I think what Jesus is saying with this, blessed are the poor in spirit. He's saying that the person who has it going on isn't the person who is withdrawing or the person forcing their way or pretending to be brave or producing or, or any of that. Jesus is saying that the person who is blessed is a person that can understand their poverty. And oftentimes we think poverty is financial. Well, we don't have our stuff. But, but poverty is recognizing our need for God. It can be not stuff, right? Or recognizing that we're vulnerable, that we're insufficient. We don't have enough. We don't have enough energy or power to pull off what we think we need to. Um, and, and so here these people are gathered together and they don't have power they don't have what they think they need to pull off what they what they think they have to pull off and he says blessed are the person who who realizes that they aren't enough who realizes that they don't have to be enough because in christ we have a source of life and wisdom and protection outside of ourselves." Friends, Jesus wants to move us from a fearful, self-protective stance with a closed fist, ready to fight, or ready to hold on. And he wants us to move toward being more gentle, peaceful, kind, and open stance toward him and toward other people. I think that's part of us growing up and trusting Christ. Part of our growing up. A lot of you have children. I have three boys. I'm not going to embarrass them with any specific stories, but we've been raising them, and they don't always get along, right? Especially when they were younger, there were some, there were some knuckle sandwiches, some haymakers, you know, not too many, um, thrown around in moments of anger. But as they grow up, what do we teach them? Use your Use your words. We've got to use your words. Let's, let's work this out with words. Let's understand what's going on, right? Let's understand the conflict. Um, what is causing this? Let's get to the root of why this happened, why you're upset. and right? Learning to communicate and recognize our fears and threats and why is part of growing up. And so we have a choice every time we're faced with a threat, don't we? be it physical, theological, political, relational, whatever the threat, uh, we're either going to go with our first gut-level instinct, which is to fear and freeze, run, um, withdraw, or we can embrace our weakness. We can stay at the table. We can have conversation. We can recognize our vulnerability and make allowance for the vulnerable around us. We can risk it and help others risk it by creating a safe place for those conversations. I think that's how we get toward unity. Imagine what the world would look like if Jesus' people lived this way. What if they knew us by our love rather than our fear? What if they knew us by our love rather than fear? Friends, to be poor in spirit is to join Jesus' suffering. Suffering is part of what it means to be human, right? God is present to you when you're suffering and feeling weak. He knows what it's like. When we suffer or struggle, we're in really good company. We're in the company of Jesus. This first beatitude, blessed are the poor, is all about whether we trust God. It starts right there. All of what we do, all of who we are as people, what we do as a, as a body, as a church, what we do, wherever we do it, it all starts right here. Do we trust God? Further on in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus shares this. Don't worry about your life. That's what the pagans do. Ouch. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be what? If we seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Ain't that the truth? So, so let's, let's consider this, trusting God, right? I think if we could trust God more than we fear, uh, than the fear around us, we'd be, I know I would be a much less anxious person. I could relax. I could live more open-handed with everyone. So what does it mean to be um, poor in spirit? How do we practice this? Poverty is when you don't have enough. You don't have enough resource, strength, emotional, I don't have enough patience. Anybody? Not enough patience? Yeah? All our hands go up. Or you feel like you don't have enough, right? You feel like something's lacking. Or you can also be poor in spirit when you sense that threat like something's gonna be taken away from you, somebody's gonna have power over you. You get anxious. I want to. I want to just do something different this morning. I want you to. I want you to put down your pen or whatever, because I know you're all taking notes. You're gonna go over this later and all week, and you're just. I'm just kidding. Hey, I want you to open your hands up. I want you to hold your hand. One hand, two hands. I'm just gonna ask you. I'm gonna walk you through this. I want you to consider this question: Where in your life? Do you feel you don't have enough? Don't have enough skill? Have enough power? Wisdom? Patience? Where do you feel threats coming to you? Now close your hand. Close your fists and hold them tight. When we come into awareness of not having enough, our first instinct is to clench our fists. Maybe to fight, or maybe to hold on to what we have so nobody can take it away from us. We get defensive. get angry. We fear it's, something's going to be taken away. And I think these threats are are cause of incredible anxiety in us that I'm not sure I fully understand. Inequality, competition, materialism, wealth, the worship of, of stuff, bigger, has, bigger is better, bigger is success, productivity, right? Thinking we have to have more. These things breed anxiety, fear. What are you grasping tightly to? What's closed up in your hands? You don't want anybody yanking that out. How does it feel to live in this posture of scarcity? Because that's what it is. I'm afraid. I'm afraid I don't have enough, so I have to hold on. Ooh, you're a threat to me, so I'm going to get back. Friends, Jesus invites us into a way of trust. Unclench your fists. Like I purposely was clenching. Jesus invites us into a way of trust. We don't have to fight. We don't have to grasp on. You don't have to be enough on your own. Independence is what makes you feel that you live in scarcity, but you're invited, we are invited to live independence and connectedness to the King of Kings. The one who has everything that we need. He invites us to this way of trust. We didn't make ourselves, we don't have to make it on our own, We're invited to trust. Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Will we trust him? Will we say, I don't have it all put together and it's okay. What I do have is I have a good God who loves me. And I've got some really good people around me that love me and who love each other. And we're all a bit of a mess. We're all a little different because God intended for that to be true. Because He knows we need different. Could you imagine everybody being like me? Bill Kirk's about to run. No! <laughs> I would run too. We need each other, friends. I love you all. Let's pray. We thank you, Lord, for this time. So today we want to own our poverty. We want to see and be able to recognize our fear and anger, our self-sufficiency, and how we just naturally want to fight to push you away, to push others away when we when we don't agree with them. God, we want to learn to reject that old way of life. We want to grow up. We want to mature. We want to learn to use our words. We want to learn to trust you more deeply. God, I want that. I hate living with anxiety. Would you bring us together? Would you continue to bring us together? I thank you for the work that you're doing in us, in me. God, we give you praise. We thank you for this morning, for this opportunity to gather and to worship you. We pray these things in the strong name of Jesus and all God's people said, Amen.